0: My name's John Elmore, I'm the Men's Director of Recovery here at Watermark, and last, well a couple of weeks ago, I told you about these plates of China that I'd shipped to Boston, two of them got broken, I submitted a claim form to get paid back that money so that I wouldn't have to cover it, because I had them insured, and I was told that, well that sounds like insurance fraud, and we're not going to cover it, and I told you I, I didn't act kindly or lovingly to the shipping company, to the two guys there, but I went, sought their forgiveness, and uh, that, that story, that analogy, was about me and my heart and how I was much more concerned about the money that I would have lost on this sale or insurance claim rather than representing Christ and being loving and kind to of people, a witness for my Lord. And uh, that was the point of the story. My heart, not the money, it just revealed my heart. However, it also revealed many of your hearts, because after the story, 12 of you or more came up to me and said, hey, great story, but did you get the money back? <laughs> so I'm glad to know I'm among brothers, um, and I'm not going to tell you the answer to what happened, because frankly, that's not what matters, the checks in the mail. Um, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I want to tell you another story similar actually, where uh, I moved down here to Dallas to go to seminary, so I had quit my job. I was broke, um, not having any income, going back to school, and uh, I had sold my car that I had previously because it, it was a bad decision, um, and I was like i, I can 't sustain that and so I had no car, and these two couples came forward and said we 're going to buy you a car for your time here while you 're in school." I was like, "Man, praise God, totally his provision." So I look and I find this good, reliable, used car. Um, I go to school and this guy in my little small group is like, hey, we've got an extra truck if anybody needs it. And I'm like, well, that would have been great to know a week ago, but I already bought this car. But anyway, that's really cool that you're offering people to use your truck. Another week goes by and uh, I walk out to the parking lot to where I parked my car. I was like, ah. And literally, like, retrace my steps, walk back. And I'm like, I'm going crazy. Where's my car? And that, that was a familiar feeling to me as a recovering alcoholic that I would often walk out and be like, where in the world is my car and have to like retrace what bar did I last go to that it might be parked at? Did I take a cab home? Did someone drive me here? Like it was a common occurrence. However, I'd been sober for many years. So I walked out. I still had that feeling and then remembered, okay, it's cool. I'm sober. I didn't do this. And then I was like, it must be stolen. And I was literally talking to the person, one of the people that had helped buy me the car and said, I'm going to have to call you back. I think my car's been stolen, which was ironic because it was in a gated like 15 foot Parking lot, which maybe that's an indicator that there was a problem, but it was in a gated lot, literally a baseball's throw to the Dallas Police Department downtown. Like, I could see the police department. I'm like, how did this happen? But my car had been stolen. And yet, I, I filed for insurance. Interestingly, they told me it was maybe insurance frauds. I had like, like, this recorded conversation, Miranda rights, and like ridiculous. Um, and then they give me the check. For $9,300 Even though the car I had purchased Was 6000 I And I was like The car is not worth it I actually bought it for six, And she's like, well that's what we say it's worth And I was like, maybe in the Chechen Republic But these are like a dime a dozen here So I, And she's like, well it's your money, do what you want So after that I find another friend And they're like, well my buddy's got a car he's selling It's only 3000 So all of a sudden I've got an extra 6300 sitting in my bank account right as I'm about to go into three years of school where I've got a part-time job making $10 an hour. I'm, I'm getting like 6000 maybe annually a year. But all of a sudden, God filled up my bank account with 6000 bucks, and that got me all the way through seminary because my car got stolen. <laughs> and that's exactly how I felt. I'm like... Only you, God. Now, God didn't steal my car. Someone evil with bad intent stole my car and gutted it like a fish. They found it. It was gutted. But God took that evil that was done to me and redeemed it and then ended up blessing me with it, and I was able to bless others with it. And that's what we're going to see here in Genesis 46 through 50, is that God will take the evil done to us, or even the evil that we do to ourselves, and he will redeem it, repurpose it, engineer it, and use it for good, for our good and for his glory. He'll do it again and again and again, if we allow him and if we have eyes to see it. We'll see that in Joseph's life throughout so uh before we do that you know the drill but today a pop quiz so four blank what is it four events and four people what are the four events <laughs> right, right It's just watermelon 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 <laughs> and then four people who are the four people All right. If you couldn't understand what your neighbor was saying, here's the answers. Four events and four people. Go get some more coffee. If you didn't know that as well, we'll still be going through this. The chart... To fill in the blanks, if you haven't already, chapter 46, reunited. This is when Jacob and all the 11 brothers, their wives, their kids, come down to Joseph in Egypt, and they're reunited um, there to escape the famine. Chapter 47, not only do they come down, they are welcomed by Pharaoh himself, and he gives them the land of Goshen, the territory of Ramses. Chapter 48, we see Jacob blessing uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. It's not a gang sign. If you did your reading, you understand that. then chapter 49, Jacob's blessings. Before he dies, he gathers his sons to him, and he blesses his sons. Quasi. Some of them. We'll get to that too. And then chapter 50, we'll, we'll, we'll title Providence, because that's exactly what it is. It's what Blake talked about last week. This way that God, a benevolent God, can take evil And repurpose it for good. So that's where we're going today. Got a lot of ground to cover. And so uh, pardon me as I I try to blitz through this. Uh, Chapter 46, Reunited. So God speaks to Jacob in Beersheba on his way down to Egypt. And what he says to him is really interesting. In verse 4, he says, I will go with you down to Egypt and will bring you back. So he's going to go down to Egypt and God's going to bring him back. And I'm sure Jacob's thinking, great, that's awesome. I'll escape the famine, then you're going to bring me back. The problem is God doesn't stop speaking. He says, you will die in Egypt, but Joseph will be there and close your eyes. If I'm Jacob, I'm asking a question. Well, hold on, God. You said you were going to take me down to Egypt to escape the famine, but then you're going to bring me back. But you told me I'm going to die in Egypt? So what does that mean? Does that mean I'm going to go down to Egypt, escape the famine, then I'm going to come back to the promised land, live out a good, happy, healthy life, and then at the end of my days I'll go down and Joseph, I'll, he'll, I'll die there and he'll close my eyes? That's not what happens though, is it? Question, does, does Jacob return to the promised land? He does? Some say yes. Does anybody say no? Where did Jacob die? Egypt. There's a verse in our New Testament that says, to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. That's our hope in Christ. So when Jacob died, he was at home with the Lord. And then his sack of bones got carried back to Canaan. His bones were there. So did God lie? Because he said, I'll take you down to Egypt. I'm going to bring you back. But you're going to die in Egypt and Joseph will close your eyes. Well, wait, God, you haven't brought him back. And that's themes like what we would call a paradox. And a paradox is two seemingly incompatible truths that, when brought together, are actually true. And so this is a paradox. A lot of people will say the Bible's full of contradictions. No, it's not. It's full of paradoxes. Things that seem incompatible that are actually true. By God. And so what happens is is this is not the end of the story. Jacob will be back in the promised land. He will be raised again, and he will live there for eternity, with us and Jesus. Jesus rebuked the Sadducees who doubted the resurrection. He said, "Do you not know what's written?" God is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. This is not the end. And so my question to us is, is what's your paradox? Think about it this way. Romans 6 says, you are no longer slaves to sin, and yet some of us still struggle with sin. But I'm not a slave to sin, so why am I still struggling with sin? That's Romans 7. It's a paradox. So what's yours? What's that paradox of, I'm not a slave to sin, and yet I keep going back to this? Or maybe it's uh, James 1. Consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Trials aren't joyful. And yet God says, consider it joy when you face those trials. Why? Because God's at work in that trial, redeeming it for your good, creating character and perseverance. He's at work in that, or maybe, maybe your paradox is 2 Corinthians 12, where it says, there was a messenger of Satan sent to torment me, and I pleaded with God to take it away, and he says, no, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness, and so maybe you have some affliction, and God, Satan means for it to destroy you and torment you. God means for it to draw you in the dependence upon him. What's your Paradox. The very gospel was taken to the Galatians. The church is founded on a sickness in Galatia. Did you know that? The people of Galatia were saved through Paul's sickness. In Galatians 4.13, he says, Brothers, you know that it was because of an illness that I first came and preached the gospel to you. So, how might God be using what you're suffering with to further his kingdom? What's your paradox? Chapter 47 They're welcomed down to Egypt. This chapter is amazing so excited to talk to you all about this. So they, they're foreigners. The brothers come down, and they say something interesting in verse 4. They say, we've come to shepherd our flocks here for a while. They knew that it was never to be permanent. They were not going to stay in Egypt. In verse 6, there's, Pharaoh says, hey, if there's anyone among you, any of your brothers that have special abilities, put them in charge of my flocks. Because he knows, like, man, you and your family have the Midas touch. Like, what you say... Is gold and what you do goes well. So put your boys in charge of my flocks. They have special abilities. And then there's this interesting part where Jacob blesses Pharaoh. You see, what happens in the Bible is that the greater blesses the lesser, God blesses us, kings bless their subjects. But here there's a role reversal and Jacob blesses Pharaoh twice, which means it reveals a spiritual reality that Jacob is actually superior to Pharaoh, and so he blesses him. Imagine this, like, wandering shepherd blessing the most powerful man in the world. And then you've got, in verse 21, freedom amidst the slaves. The Egyptians, um, in the midst of this famine... They go and they buy all their grain with their money from Joseph. And then they run out of that. And so they say, Joseph, you can have our livestock. We need food. And then after that, they're starving. They say, Joseph, you can have our very selves. We will be enslaved to you. Just give us food and seed. And so they become enslaved in their own land while the Hebrews are free in a foreign land. Does this sound familiar yet? It's your life if you are in Christ. It's who you are. It's that you are a foreigner. The Bible says all throughout, Peter writes it, the author of Hebrew writes it, that we are aliens, strangers, sojourners. This is not our home. We are here for a while. So don't put down the roots too deep. We have special abilities. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, that you have been given supernatural gifts, not for your glory, for his, not for your kingdom, for his. You've been given special abilities that the world, Pharaoh, would look at you and be like, how do you do what you do? And that you would say, thanks for asking, it's all Jesus And you can know him too. Blessings, that we would be a blessing to others. A blessing to the household of God? Yes, even your enemies. Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Bless your enemies. And then also that we have freedom amidst the slaves. One of the most disturbing scriptures in the Bible is found in 2 Timothy 2. And it says that Satan has taken captive men, all men, to do his will. People who don't know Jesus, and that may be someone in this room, we are born into captivity to Satan, and we are accomplishing unknowingly his will. And yet, for those of us who know Christ, we are walking in freedom in this foreign land amidst people who are slaves. So the question here is, who and how do you need to bless? And you could do that financially, materially, with your time, with forgiveness, with prayer, encouragement. And some of you, if you're paying attention, should think, man, you you just left out the biggest thing we can do to bless someone. And that's that we could share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who are enslaved to Satan and are headed straight to eternal hell separation from God, that we might tell them about the only hope that this world has. Who do you need to bless and how? And let me just sidebar real quick. If all of us did this, I think we could change a great portion of Dallas. Every time you get served a meal in a restaurant, say to the waitress or waiter, hey, can I ask you something real quick? Thanks for bringing our food. We always pray before the meal and say thanks. Could we pray for you in any way? And nine times out of 10, they'll say, They'll be shocked that you even asked and cared about them. They'll say, yeah, actually, my, my dad has cancer. Yeah, actually, I'm pregnant. Yeah, actually, I, X, Y, or Z. And then you pray for them. And it, and it starts a spiritual conversation. You can say, hey, so you believe in God, right? Yeah. Well, let me ask you something. How do you believe someone gets to heaven? And they'll tell you by good works or whatever. And then you can share the gospel with them. And then leave a really big tip. Don't be a Christian jerk. Be generous. Shouldn't have been funny. It's laughter of conviction. Genesis 48, Ephraim and Manasseh. So Joseph takes his two half Egyptian sons and Jacob says, I'm going to adopt your two boys and I want to bless them as well. And he, (laughs) Jacob, the deceiver crosses his hands and blesses them like this. And Joseph tries to move his hands. He says, no, son, I know what I'm doing. I know I'm aging, but I know what I'm doing. And and the younger will be served by the older. And and we see a lapse in Joseph. His faithful life, faithful in affliction all throughout. And here he tries to control the situation. No, dad, that's not how it's supposed to be. Instead of just trusting, even though he's trusted the rest of his life. And God's sovereign in that. And we rest in the blessing. And and what I want to read from, actually, is, is... Huge in Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7. No one from the east or the west can exalt a man, but it is God who judges. He brings down one, he exalts another. It is God's to exalt. We don't exalt ourselves, we don't put ourselves in a position. God does that, it's His business. He said, He humbles the proud, but gives, sorry, yes, He humbles the proud, but exalts the humble. Opposes the proud. And so we rest in that. 1 Corinthians 12 says if one part of the body is honored, every part rejoices with it. We don't grumble. We don't get jealous. We rejoice with that part of the body that gets honored. So we don't look around and say, well, why didn't I get the raise? Why didn't I get the job? Why didn't I get the girl? Why do I have a smaller house than he has? Or whatever it is, it's all from God. God. And what that also doesn't mean is that we sit back in our house or apartment and just wait for the doorbell to ring with opportunity or mail order brides. But instead, we're faithful each day with as much as we can do, and then we trust the results to God. You say, well, what does that look like? That we try, but yet we trust the results? Because if we try, that seems like self-promotion. You know your heart. I know when I am manipulating and self-promoting versus when I'm just being faithful and trusting the results to God. So where do you just need to trust and receive? Is the question there. Genesis 49, Jacob's blessings. This chapter is powerful. Uh, So he comes and says, Hey, I want to bless you, son. So all the 12 sons gather there together. And uh, they're they're probably kind of excited, like, Hey, Pop's going to bless us. This is going to be great. And he starts off with Reuben. And he says, uh, Sorry, I should have marked these. He turns to Reuben and he says, Reuben, you're strong. You're my firstborn. You're a sign of strength. You excel in honor and power. And then it goes south. You're turbulent as the waters. You will no longer excel. You went up onto your father's bed and defiled it. He's like, and? That's the blessing? (laughs) Next. Simeon and Levi. Okay, here we go. Pop, what are you going to bless us with? Their swords are weapons of violence. They're like, yeah, that's right. We slayed all those people. When they slept with Dinah, they raped her. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. Cursed be their anger. I will scatter them and disperse them. That's the blessing for them. Judah, I'm sure he's like, it's good, Dad, I'm cool. (laughs) I'm good as I am, no blessing for me. And yet he says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches down and lies. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs. And the obedience of the nations is his. This foretelling of Jesus, the Christ, the lion and the lamb. He says, you, Judah, he will come from you, and the scepter, the ruler, will never leave your household. It's our story, too, because Judah, previously, as we talked about, slept with his daughter-in-law, sold his own brother into slavery, He probably thought he was going to get one of those bad blessings like his brothers before, and instead he gets blessed. Instead, the Savior, the Messiah, is said to be coming from him that his sons will bow down. And that's us, man. Paul writes in Titus 3, he says, Even though we, Paul, speaking of himself, were once disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasure, living in malice, being hated, and hating one another, And yet, Paul also writes, Ephesians 1, you've been adopted. You've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm, sealed with the Holy Spirit. What about my mistakes? Yeah, in light of your mistakes, God will give you that, has given you that, because it's for your good and his glory. He lives to redeem. Titus 2.13 says, As we wait... For the blessed hope, it's the only place it says it, the blessed hope, the coming and appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's your hope. If it's not, your heart needs to change. Ask God to change it. That's our hope, is that Christ is coming again. We long for him. We look for him. Revelation twenty-two twelve says, behold, I am coming soon. He says it again, I'm coming soon. When he comes, and I believe he's coming soon, will he find you being faithful to him and his kingdom? We want the lamb of God, forgiveness of sins. Oftentimes we don't want the lion of God. We want a savior, we don't want the Lord. So where are you not honoring the lion of Judah, the coming king? Genesis 50, providence, what Blake talked about last week, this benevolent God who can redeem and re-engineer, repurpose evil for good in verse 50, 20. Memorize this, Genesis 50, 20, memorize it because you'll see it all throughout your life as your mind is transformed to have this mindset when I get sick, when my car gets stolen, when I don't get this or that, when bad befalls me, when Satan afflicts me, God will redeem it for good. He says, you intended to harm me, he says to his brothers, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. He's already done it in your life if you trusted Christ. He took the sin that you had committed and redeemed it in Jesus that you might now become a proclaimer of his good. That you might proclaim the gospel. He says in Acts 22 that by God's foreknowledge and purpose, he delivered Jesus over to men who killed him. That's the ultimate Genesis 50, 20 in Acts 2 where God says, I, I foreknew this. I, I purposed this. I didn't do it. God doesn't do evil but he allows it and then redeems it and uses it for good. So here I just, I I had someone say to me recently because they were in a great affliction, I don't deserve this. Man, I don't deserve this. I said, you're right. You don't deserve it. What you deserve is hell. Hell. What you deserve is eternal separation from God because of your sin, and in his grace, he has allowed you to live. So for all of us, my hand raised, let's get over our self-pity and all the introspection and instead look upward and look for God to redeem this because he will. Out of an illness, I first came and preached the gospel to the Galatians. He will redeem it he doesn't do evil, but he allows it and redeems it. And so how have you seen God redeem evil in your life or what evil is going on in your life and inflicted upon you that if you surrender and look upward, could God redeem that? Talk about that. Man, I want to close with this and then we're, and then we're done. Story, is a, story of a blacksmith. A man was walking by 1800s and he can hear it just pounding. I mean, ching, ching ching sparks flying can smell the billowing smoke and he walks around the corner and he sees the blacksmith shop and he sees this nasty sweaty ogre of a man deformed in face multiple burns just with a mallet hammer just smashing down metal as if he's just destroying this piece of metal on the anvil and then he sees behind him a man cleanly dressed top hat in a suit just quietly and every now and then, the man would whisper and point, And that ogre would just release and strike it. And the man stopped, just entranced by all of this. And finally, he stepped aside to the, to the man with the top hat and said, what's going on here? That man is ruining that. And he said, no, 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 no. That was a raw piece of metal that I'm forging into a tool, a sword, something useful and beautiful. It's not being destroyed. And he says, you see that man? As he's just like, Whoa. he's like, he doesn't do anything I don't allow or say. I'm the one in control. And I whisper to him where to strike and how hard to strike. And when I tell him to stop, he stops. And then I take it, I put it in the water, and it cools and it firms up where it should be. That's our life. Nothing will happen to you that God has not allowed in His sovereignty, in His wisdom. And Satan, that ogre, means to destroy. But God is using it to make you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He's using it to sanctify. It's 2 Corinthians 12. A messenger of Satan sent to torment, and God's saying, no, I'm redeeming that, and I'm using it to draw you into dependence upon me because my grace is sufficient and my strength is made perfect in weakness. So when you're struck... We look to God and say, though you slay me, yet I will hope in you, the words of Job. And we entrust ourselves to the one who is sovereign and all-powerful and all-good, who never does evil and redeems the evil for good. Pray with me. Father God, we are yours. Thank you, Lord, that we are yours, that we are no longer slaves to Satan. Thank you, Lord, that even our own, utmost enemy, Satan. You are sovereignly over. And that when you say stop, he stops. And you take every evil that was meant to destroy us, the father of lies, and you redeem it for good. As you restore us to the image of Christ, Lord, sanctify us. Painful as it may be, sanctify us. Thank you for these brothers. I pray that Our time would be used for your purpose. We love you. Amen.